Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Battles, a strength and conditioning coach and the founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism. The Practice Brave Podcast brings you the relatable, trustworthy, and transparent health and fitness information you're looking for when it comes to coaching, being coached, and transitioning through the variables of motherhood and womanhood. If you're a pregnant or postpartum athlete or a coach working with this population, this show is specifically designed for you. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Practice Brave Podcast. Today, I am here with 2020 Olympian Faluga Akinradewo and pelvic floor physical therapist Malia Parizo. And I'm so excited to have both of them here today to talk about the journey getting Faluga to the Olympics and what that process has looked like. She's somebody that I worked with a little bit. And um, Malia was able to work with throughout her pregnancy and postpartum return to the Olympics. And we're really excited to share her story and just everything that took place. So Luca, thank you so much for being here. Malia, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Okay. So we'll start with Luca. So tell us a little bit about your athletic history and who you are, what you're about, and just give us some insight there. Oh gosh. Well, I grew up playing three sports. Started volleyball, my volleyball career in high school. Um, I'd played basketball and ran track, and volleyball was not my thing. But my high school coach, Lisa Zelensky, convinced me to try out. And so my sophomore year, I joined the team, and I was awful, god awful, but I loved it. I loved the challenge, and I knew I had potential in the sport. I'm always excited about growth and learning. And so it just has been, I think my career has just been one thing after another. I never really had long-term goals. It was just what's next. And so I was able to play through high school. I was on the youth and junior national teams. And then I joined the national team. I, after graduating from high school, my senior year, and then I went to Stanford and played there for four years. And then I've had professional career for gosh, definitely like about 11 years or so I've been playing overseas. And I'm actually currently in Japan for my season. So yeah, just traveling the world and I've gotten to add my husband and son with me on my journey. That's so amazing. It's really incredible to have such longevity in a, in a sport like that. It's really amazing. Malia, tell us a little bit about you and your practice. Yeah, I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist, but I also, I started out in orthopedics and so really meshed the two when I was noticing most of my low back ladies coming in in an orthopedic setting were saying, oh, I also have leaking postpartum or pain with intercourse and, and then started treating pelvic floor and realizing a lot of the low back pain symptoms were going away. So when I meshed those two worlds, it's been a journey, but my, I love really that postpartum return to fitness and getting women back safely to that. God, it's so rewarding. And Fluka, you have such a Cinderella story, so to speak, when it comes to, you know, becoming a mom, making the team and becoming a starter and then winning a gold medal. It's incredible. But also there's so much that has happened behind the scenes to get you to, to that moment. Right. And so that's what we'd like to talk to you both today about. And so we'll back up a little bit. Fluka, when did you reach out to me? When did we connect? I can't even remember. Yes. Yeah, so my good friend Angie Forsett, when I was trying to debate on whether or not um, I wanted to get pregnant during my season and, and what that would look like, once I reached out to her because she knew you and, I mean, she's now pregnant with her fifth and um, does CrossFit and she's amazing and an incredible athlete. So anyway, she told me to contact you. So this was probably about 
maybe like eight or nine weeks, I would say, potentially into my pregnancy. She was like, you're the person I need to reach out to. I want to do this thing right. And so I did. Oh, I'm so grateful for you both. And then based on where you were living at the time, I knew that Malia would be an excellent point person. Malia, you're like in the San Clemente-ish area of California. And so I send all of my Southern California, San Diego area, or like Temecula area out to Malia. And she's helped so many different people that I've worked with over time. And I knew, and I was like, okay, well, if I can't be there all the time in person, helping and seeing like, it's going to be so beneficial to at least have a point person who's local enough to see throughout pregnancy and postpartum, especially. That's how those two connected. Yeah. I think I saw Faluka first when I think she was about 12 weeks pregnant is when she finally came into the office. Yeah. Which is so great from a trying to control the things we can. There's so much education that's, that's missing for so many people, especially for athletes that have big goals ahead of them. Right. And so getting that information and that support early on can really make a big difference in, in just learning more about your body. So some of those tendencies that, you know, in some, some things we can't control other things we can't. So Malia, what was the first visit like from a clinical standpoint, since we do have a lot of different PTs and coaches who listen to this podcast? Yeah, it was uh, fun working with Fluka in the beginning. She was 12 weeks pregnant when she first came in. And, you know, that first meeting when she says, okay, my due date's in November and Mm -hmm. I have to plan to return to court in April and be fully able to play in, I think, June. It was like, okay, we have some work to do. (laughs) Um, And I think in that first session, we had noticed that you had already started doing some doming. And so we had already looking at kind of the diastasis stuff and kind of changing some of your mechanics and how you were turning on abs, what you were doing with that. And I think at that point you were already comfortable with pulling back in some of your, your training sessions and um, competitive play at that point. And so I didn't have to do any of that convincing you had already kind of made those decisions on your own yeah. and just, yeah, but it was definitely like, okay, we have some work to do postpartum. And that, I think that was the biggest challenge of, of we have a timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Luka, what was that like for you being 12 weeks pregnant where you're like, well, I still feel good ish, like getting right. that, that trust of going to somebody and, and reaching out to Leah or reaching out to me for some feedback when obviously you're a really great athlete. You've been doing this for so many years. What was right. that like for you? Yeah, I think obviously I've never been pregnant before. Yes, I'm an athlete, but I've never been a pregnant athlete. And I knew that there was a short window in terms of when I wanted to be able to return to sport, to be back in the elite level, to make the Olympic team um, at the Olympics that happened in 2020. And so I just want to do everything in my power to do it right. And I know, Brie, when we spoke, we talked about how in the media you see all these athletes and some of them, you know, like running when they're 20 weeks and, you know, five months pregnant or et cetera. And people think that that's what is the norm. Because if you're an athlete, of course, you should be able to do that. But is that what's right for you? And and something that's stuck with me that you'd said is that, you know, we're athletes for our whole lives. This isn't just a short-term goal. I have a short-term goal of making an Olympic team, but I want to be an athlete for the rest of my life. Yeah. And so what can I do to make sure that I'm doing this the right way? And so I think for me, the biggest challenge, because while I was ready to pull back, truthfully, the biggest challenge was, you know, with my staff, because what you see portrayed on the media of athletes and pregnant athletes, what they can do 
people have that in their mind. Like that's what you should do. You're an elite athlete. And so I think it just took a lot of talking and negotiating and educating really on our end, Leah and Bree, like you guys helped me out with that as well. And I think eventually we were able to get to a good place with that. But I think from the get-go, like I knew that I wanted to to do this right. Yeah. Well, I, I love, I love everything you said. And you know, something I have to remind people of all the time is like pregnant athletes and postpartum athletes are not fragile, but they're also not invincible. So how do we set ourselves up the best way that we can right now on behalf of our long-term goal, whether it's the Olympics or whether it's just to be like a recreational exercise or whatever that might be like, are we making choices now that support our long-term and that can be really hard to get buy-in on, right? From, from coaching staff to maybe your, your CrossFit coach or your physical therapist or just like yourself. Like it's hard to get that buy-in yourself of like, well, I've always done this or it still feels okay, but being able to make some of those adjustments before you actually need to. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I love that. So talk to us a little bit about what your pregnancy training was like after you met with us initially. And you started to like find your own voice and get more of a good, I guess, basis of education and knowledge around it. What was your training actually like? Yeah. So gosh, I can't remember too well, but I think by... A lot has happened. (laughs) A lot's happened. (laughs) It's been a while. I think I want to say by 16 weeks, I was for sure done with jumping. And then I already have like a modified lifting program because I had a history of back issues and knee issues. So I wasn't doing Olympic lifting even before my pregnancy. So it actually made that transition pretty seamless um, of doing things that, you know, were right for me. So I think one of the adjustments was definitely with heart rate on the bike, but I mean, I was still lifting, but not as, as heavy with my weights, but because I wasn't doing Olympic lifting to begin with, it, it was pretty easy. Yeah. And were you still playing? Were you like still practicing on the court and stuff? Yeah, I was. So I was practicing the court probably until, gosh, I don't remember. I want to say 16, maybe 20 weeks. I definitely stopped jumping before that. I remember, Malia, we were talking about that. Like, what's the, you know, how far, how long can I go with jumping? And is it even going to be beneficial to keep doing that, you know, for the pelvic floor health and, and all that stuff? So I think I want to say by 16 weeks, I don't know if you remember better than I do. Um, but I was still doing like court stuff, yeah, but not jumping. Right. So yeah. you're still involved in doing a lot of like sports specific play, just not necessarily like out on the court with, with a lot of competition. Correct. Yeah. 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 I mean, and it's good. And so for those of you listening saying like, well, why did she stop jumping at 16 weeks? So it's, it's not that she couldn't jump. She absolutely could and still be really freaking powerful. It was more of like trying to take into consideration her pelvic floor not aggravating any symptoms that she didn't currently have she didn't have pelvic floor symptoms at that point in time and so we wanted to keep it that way as the baby continued to grow as her pressure system changed throughout pregnancy knowing her end goal is to be a high impact athlete and so again this was a variable that we could control and that was a suggestion made and then she was in a place where she felt informed enough to do that and also tell her coaches like, this is why. And so it was really a good, I think we make the most progress when we have thorough understanding around why, why we're adjusting some of these training choices. It's not a matter of ability. It really is a matter of just like weighing all the pros and cons, mm-hmm. but that can be really hard with like athlete brain. Right. And what you're used to doing and feel like, well, I still can do it. 
I, yeah, I think sure. Falu- I think Luca was so good about really nailing what you said to her in the beginning of I want to be an athlete the rest of my life and that period of pregnancy for her was she was really able to to fine tune what do I need to do now to keep this progressing forward where I'm not going to really make changes that could be detrimental and I think that was a really key part for you, Fluka, because a lot of times when I'm talking to athletes, that's the hardest part is convincing them to step back in their in their training. And you were all ears when we had suggestions like that. And so that was, yeah. I think, very big for you to be able to to make those calls early on and have some pushback. I mean, there was definitely pushback from coaching staff of keeping you going. And you were kind of, well, this is what I'd like to do because I have the future set in my in my mind. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's really admirable. So tell me about like, as pregnancy continued, like, how did you carry? How did you feel? Tell me just a little bit about the whole pregnancy experience, especially towards the end. Yeah, I felt great my whole pregnancy. I honestly, if I didn't know I was pregnant for most of it, I wouldn't know I was pregnant. You know, I felt great. I felt other than, you know, getting a little more winded during my workouts, but I felt really strong, probably the strongest I've felt. Yeah, I felt really good. I definitely carried my voice straight out. Like yeah. my stomach was pointy. There was there was nothing like the watermelon people, belly, right? Yeah, like people would comment, they're like, it's so pointy. I'm like, I don't know. Like that's just how I'm carrying. So yeah, he just went straight out. But I felt good. I felt really good. I felt like I was doing the right things. And so towards the end of my pregnancy, I cut down like how much I was lifting, started just doing more walking. Yeah, I remember every time she came in to um, a visit, we'd be like, okay, tell me what's going on. And it was like, I feel great. This feels good. I'm feeling really, really good in my body, which she yeah. did. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. And so then leading into getting close to delivery, Malia, did you have any, did you guys go over like any tips for delivery? And then what was that process like? So you both can kind of share there. Yeah. I mean, we talked about a lot of that pelvic floor relaxation, going through some of that breath work of making sure she could have um, some release work done, some even perineal stretching, taught her some of that as well to do some self-massage for um, for birth as well. Yeah. And Feluca. Yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah. And that, yeah. yeah, that was... <laughs> <laughs> but that was so helpful because I didn't know about that. So I was doing perineal stretching beforehand. Yeah. And breath work and yeah. And you told me basically how to push all that stuff. So I felt like I was well equipped and ready for whenever the time was coming. Absolutely. And that's why yeah. it's just so beneficial. If you guys listening can get in to see a pelvic floor, physical therapist, public health, uh, physiotherapist, it can make such a big difference. And just I guess adding like that extra perspective of labor and delivery in respect to your pelvic floor health, like not just the baby and not just like get the baby out right now, or not just like from a medical lens, but really like this holistic approach to supporting the woman through the process. So Mm -hmm. again, just, I like to try to help connect those dots there. It's a possibility for you. It makes a really big difference going into birth, at least in the ways you can control. So talk to me a little bit about delivery. What was that like labor and delivery? I mean, all things considering, it was really good. That day, I, I, yeah, started contractions like early that morning. And I actually saw a chiropractor who worked with pregnant women. And so she did some cupping and she was like, are you ready to have a baby on Thanksgiving? This is the day before Thanksgiving. Are you ready to have a baby on Thanksgiving day? And I was like, sure. And so 
that day I was pulling contractions the whole time. I like went to the movies um, <laughs> and watched Mr. Rogers with my parents and my husband. And I uh, would eat popcorn in between contractions um, and watch the movie. And then towards the end of the night, I was like, all right, it's time to go. And um, I gave birth at like 4 a.m. and probably pushed for like 40, 45 minutes. And yeah, so that the whole thing, like, pretty easy it's so great when I I didn't tear because the perineal stretching that was very beneficial (laughs) highly recommend (laughs) um yeah the the only thing was when I got up from bed I was like gosh like my stomach feels empty but I'd never given birth before I was like maybe that's normal like that's how it's supposed to feel but I just like I felt like there's nothing like holding me anymore there is just nothing there and so that was the the only thing I remember from um, after giving birth. That's so interesting. But I mean, it makes sense when you're an athlete, you are so aware of your body and you just have so much of a greater sense of where your body is in space and what it feels like. And so it is so different when you're squishy and empty feeling and just in a different state. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Your early weeks postpartum, did that feeling continue for you? Where did you start getting worried or like, what, what was that experience like? Yeah. Again, I didn't know what to expect. Like I didn't know what was normal or not normal. I do remember my dad always asked me like, are you okay? Cause you're like leaning over as you're walking. And I was like, no, I feel perfectly fine. Like I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what I know now yeah. <laughs> that I had, but, um, at that point I felt okay. I think I I had made it like my new normal. So I'm like, no, I feel perfectly fine. Yeah. So at what point did you go and see Malia? When did I see you? Was it? Um, I think it was your, I think about three weeks postpartum. Three weeks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you delivered when, when, when was Kaya Day born? Thanksgiving. Yeah. So So, it was about three weeks, three weeks later, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And so what was that visit like? I want to hear, Luca, what your expectations were, what your concerns were, and then Malia, what that was like for you um, meeting with, with her at like three weeks postpartum, because that's still fairly early, I think, for most people, but still like a really great thing to have that like first line of defense. Yeah. yeah. I think because I did everything right in my mind um, and I didn't have any tearing, my, my biggest concern, honestly, and I remember telling Malia about this is that. I didn't want to have to have a C-section because my mom had had three of them and I have really narrow hips and I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to get baby out and I'd have to have a C-section and like, I didn't have to do that. I didn't tear like, all right, I should be good. And so I honestly didn't have any expectations going into that appointment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What was your experience like? Yeah, it was um, after we had kind of, I think, communicated a you know, by email and text, you know, congratulations, what's going on in your body. Okay. Let's get you in here. No tearing. Great. So checking pelvic floor for her, making sure that was great. I mean, that looked, she was doing really well, obviously some mild weakness going on. And then the biggest thing for us was finding that she had a pretty significant diastasis um, postpartum. And that was definitely okay. We have some, some work to do. Right. And just for, for the record, because I think that so many people need to have this sense of grace is like, you did do everything right. Like you did, you did nothing wrong, like at all in your training. It's just how the babe grew this time. You know, it was just your unique body. And that's, 
you know, so many people are like, well, I didn't do this right. Or I should have done more of this. And they beat themselves up so much because they feel like they should have known, or they should have done something differently. And frankly, there's just a lot of things we don't have control over. So Mm -hmm. how you carried your baby during pregnancy was probably the greatest influence on the significance of your diastasis. That's something I think everyone needs to really keep in mind when we talk about this. So what was that like? That was a big bummer to hear. Um, (laughs) uh, Especially because I knew that, you know, I had the school make the Olympic team and this was December, January, and I had to be good to go by May. And so, and you need so much of your core to play the sport of volleyball. So I was very bummed. I remember I was beating myself up and you both, Bree, you said the exact same thing. And Leah, like you, it was out of your control, you know, the way you carried, but I definitely had a woe is me moment. Um, you know, like I think everyone does when they, when they deal with some adversity, but then it was like, okay, well, what am I going to do about it? Like, how do I fix this? How do I get to where I need to get to? Um, so I was going to do everything in my power because my goal from the get-go in this pregnancy, I'd seen other women do it before. Um, I was fortunate enough to have teammates who were, were moms and athletes. And, um, I want to do the same for the upcoming generation to see that it is possible. So I want to do everything in my power to do that and to uphold that promise I'd made to myself and to others that I was going to get this done. Um, so after I got to mope some for some time, then I got to like, all right, let's get back to work. Yes. I, I love that. And it's okay to have a grieving period postpartum for whatever experience you've had, whether it's delivery or symptoms or whatever, there is like a, okay, this is my current normal and it's okay to like be upset about that and, and have that moment. I love that you're able to have time to process and figure out how to take some steps forward. So mm-hmm. just for some context, Malia, what was her diastasis measuring at early on like an ish or realm? Uh, ish. Yeah. So pretty significant depth wise. I mean, I was, I think I was going in, you know, kind of eight centimeters into her abdomen, all the way from kind of the sternum, all the way down to pubic bone. It was pretty significant in that depth. And then width was, I mean, we were measuring eight to 10 on each side almost. So when she first came in that first three weeks, even with a head lift, I couldn't get rectus abdominis to actually fascially turn on. So there was no fascial connection with a, with a head lift, which I did not tell Toluca this at the time because it was already <laughs> it was already enough for her to to hear that she had diastasis and then to give her numbers. Do you remember Fluka? I said I won't tell you numbers at this yep. point because it didn't it wasn't going to do her any good to hear numbers yep. and then for her to go you know Google what does that mean. Um, so we didn't even discuss numbers in those first few visits, um, but it was it was significant enough that I couldn't feel fascial, fascial load with a leg lift, a head lift, um, in those first, in that first visit, especially. Um, but then by that, I think, um, that next visit that she had come in just working on breath work and abdominal control and, um, getting some awareness of what she needed to do. She was already starting to pull on that transverse abdominus, a little bit of rectus control. Um, so, it was once her mind was made up to, okay, I'm, I'm going to move out of this and I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. She started actually with breeze programming and we just had modified some of the positions. So I think like pushups we had modified and side plank, and maybe even there was one other one that we had to modify just because she was significantly doming and couldn't keep those. So we had to go into like a push, a push up on the wall. 
but mm-hmm. you had started that program and they just kind of modified a few things. Right. And I think I saw you around that six or eight week period where yeah. you started moving more and just to kind of get a feel for like, okay, where are we at? Like, what is the starting point now to, to, I guess, sort of uh, project where you would be in like the five month period? What do we need to do now? And so even with a significant diastasis, her pathway had to look different than maybe others who had a diastasis like that, or even a less significant one. So we really had to say, okay, well, if she needs to be doing a lot of overhead movements, a lot of you know, reaching and like rib cage thrusting. Okay. Like how can we get her to do that in a way that's going to keep supporting her healing? So kind of like walking that line of like rehab, but also getting reps in towards her performance and then combining those worlds. And that's where Malia and I had to kind of brainstorm a bit and Luca, you were so patient with us. I know that was a lot. So what was that like for you kind of entering the six to eight week period, you're starting to introduce more fitness and saying, okay, like, what is my body right now? Yeah, that was another tough part because I didn't want to make it worse. I wanted to obviously get towards that goal and, you know, make that team get back to, you know, my pre-pregnancy performance, but at the same time, I wanted to do it the right way. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't making it worse. And so that was like a fine balance of, all right, I don't have the strength to do certain things. I remember probably pretty early on, just like doing overhead throwing or eventually like serving. I was having a lot of shoulder pain and it's because I had no core strength to do what I needed to do. So it was like a really fine line and tough battle. And like you said, I had a really short amount of time to get this done. I think, you know, if I weren't trying to make this goal, we would have had more time to do it (laughs) probably a different way. But because of that, we just had to, to make it work. Right. Well, and you did. So as the months went on, you started seeing Mm -hmm. some progression, working with Malia, really kind of ramping up your fitness a little bit more. Obviously, COVID (laughs) changed the dynamics of a lot of different things. So what, as your postpartum months went on, what did the training continue to look like for you? Yeah, so COVID hit and the day the lockdowns went in place was the day I was supposed to start jumping for the first time. So I remember it was March 17th. And so um, (laughs) I started jumping in my garage on a Zoom call with, with my strength coach, Jimmy. And so... Uh, it was just different. Like I spent the whole, the rest of that spring and into summer, like in my garage, working out by myself on a zoom call, you know, what have appointments with Malia, but actually, no, I didn't, I didn't see you at all because of COVID. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it was just all, you know, with Kara, um, our um, athletic trainer and then Jimmy and it was in the garage by myself. So it was just, yeah, holding myself accountable and trying to you know, pull on the things that you taught me in terms of, of core and pelvic floor strength. And yeah, just a lot. Of, it was a tough period of time, not just because of COVID and doing it in my garage, but also I had an infant. So I was like, you know, breastfeeding him and then going down and working out for like an hour and then going back and breastfeeding and having Zoom calls, all these things. And it was just, it was really hard. But I remember like there was one moment where I'm like, I'm going to make this Olympic team and I'm going to look back on this moment because this is when no one's watching. Like I'm holding myself accountable to do this and people are going to see the end result, but a lot of people aren't going to understand this journey 
And so I was like, all right, this is, this is awesome because this is what, when I look at the greats, like this is, this is it. Like these are the moments when no one's watching and it's like, what do you do in these moments? And so I was happy that I had that to turn to, like, I I had that moment um, for myself. And so what was I going to do with it? Oh, so beautiful. Like, it's just such a beautiful sentiment to share. And I'm, I'm so glad that you are shining light on that because you're right. Like so many people have no idea, especially this past Olympics, like what really, what it really took to be able to show up there, right? Like training yeah. in your garage, having a baby, relearning how to jump, jump in a way where there's a little bit of fear too, with your body. You're like, I don't know this body yet. So you're, you're kind of like, having to walk this new line of understanding your body of not having any kind of security for what the future holds. Like, and it's a lot as if yeah. becoming a mom isn't hard enough. You had a lot of things <laughs> you were juggling. Yeah. Yeah, so, for sure. Like you said though, it's, it's that, that unknown was the scariest part, which makes sense. If we know what the outcome is, there's no fear behind that. Um, but this was the first time in my career where there was just a lot of unknown. Like I didn't, I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to get back to where I was athletically. And that's and not to say, I don't necessarily think I necessarily am back to where I was athletically. You know, I don't think I'm the same person. I'm just a different version of myself now, but I didn't know if I was going to make the team. I didn't, there was just a lot of unknowns. And so I think it was just carrying on and trying to keep faith without knowing the outcome. Oh, absolutely. So when, so as you were working out in your garage and breastfeeding and trying to manage your diastasis and trying to find some hope there, was there a point where you're like, okay, I think I got this, or I feel like I'm ready. I feel like it's clicking. Did you ever, did you ever have that feeling? It honestly wasn't until, so I, I was working out in my garage. I think the girls, some had started going back to training at the gym. I want to say in July, maybe yeah, maybe May, June, July. I'm not sure exactly, but I wasn't because my mom was living with us. She'd been diagnosed with breast cancer earlier that year. And with COVID and everything, like we just wanted to be really safe. So, um, I didn't go to the gym for a while when I eventually did, it was just one-on-one like me and the coaches and that's it. So I just wasn't with the other girls and training. And so I ended up re-signing with my team here in Japan, which all credit goes to them for having faith in me. Not that's a big unknown. I hadn't even played six on six volleyball since before my pregnancy, before when I was with this team back before I was pregnant. So um, I joined them and I came here in September of 2020. And it wasn't until I would say December of 2020 where I felt like, okay, like I can do this. So even though I was playing all this time for these few months and finally getting back to playing six on six, feeling like I had enough strength to hit a ball and serve a ball. It took even more time before I felt like, okay, I kind of feel like myself again. Right. So that was about a little tiny bit over a year postpartum for you when you were right. in and starting to, you know, get a feel for, okay, maybe, maybe I am starting, maybe I still have it. Right. Um, right. So what was your diastasis like around that year point postpartum? And this might be a question for Malia too. I don't know at what point yeah. there was that correspondence. I don't honestly, <laughs> if you've noticed, I've blocked a lot of things on my memory. The hard, the hard things. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Things are quite great. literally um, had a ton going on and a ton of changes. So it's okay to not have like an exact answer at all. <laughs> yeah. I want to say by that point, it was maybe like two and a half to three. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. 
I would say. I think at that point we were just by email and text and that type of thing. Cause I don't think I actually saw her in an, a visit before she went to Japan, an uh, in-person visit. So it was yeah. a lot of communication, you know, virtually that type of thing. But um, I remember her, she finally felt strong enough at that point where she was serving and jumping. There was that, that progression of, okay, how do I get to serve? Jump serve was a big part for you was trying to get back to that jump serve and, a portion of that was, do we try bracing? Do we try taping? Do we try? And th- I think this was even during that mm-hmm. unknown, not knowing if the Olympics was going to go. So we were trying a lot of different things and your coaching staff was like, let's try some bracing. Let's try some, what else can we give you to get some core connection because you were having some of that shoulder issue. So there was still a lot of trial and error that we were doing, um, trying to get you potentially to be ready for play. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? Um, but at the point when you went to Japan, I think, uh, you were probably had brought back that tension and you were jumping, you were serving all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. And that tension is such a critical piece because that's what helps generate power. So beyond just if her abs were approximating or not, um, if she's able to generate more tension in her midline and that helps her generate more power overhead and just creates a stronger system as a whole. So that's why in the diastasis world, you know, it's not just the approximations, also what that fascia is doing and getting it stronger over time. And so fortunately with the the training that you were doing, the patients that you had and getting that timeline extended a little bit really worked, I think, in the favor of getting your abs to a place where they can also support your performance. Mm-hmm. Which is so great. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about, because I remember we, we had a really powerful conversation, but this was early on about like the aesthetics of the diet of the diastasis mm-hmm. and how hard that was, especially as a professional athlete. Yeah. That's Get still vulnerable with me. I just dive right in. <laughs> no, it's good. That honestly, that's still the biggest thing for me because well, let's go back. When I first found out that I had this and I remember talking to Malia about it and I was like, all right, like it looks ugly. My stomach looks ugly and disgusting to me. I'm sure to everyone, but I, at that point, like, I don't care because I just want to make this team. So I don't care about the aesthetics. Like I just want the function. So what can I do to get it, get it there? But now that I'm there in a sense, um, I think that's the hardest thing for me is having, I, I was used to having like six pack abs and now I have to think about the kind of clothes I wear, like, where does it, how does it fall? I can't wear like tight clothes. I can't, you know, like things I never, ever had to think about. That's my new life. And so part of me is like, okay, I'm, it sucks. It really sucks. But then also, you know, my body has gone through so much and it's created this beautiful boy that I have. And it's gotten to me to a level where I can call myself a three-time Olympian. So there's positives there's negatives. I know down the road, I would, you know, I still want to have more kids. And so I know down the road, I will be having surgery, but in the meantime, it is definitely a struggle for me. Yeah. And I think that's like, just a really fair thing to acknowledge and talk about. It's like, it's just, it's freaking hard to see your body change and then not be yeah. able to do a whole lot about it. It's not like, well, if you just worked out a little bit more, or if you just <laughs> like, you know, just stop eating, whatever. Like that's not how this works. Right. So I know that can just be a really hard mental challenge. And when you add the 
elite athlete, professional athlete title behind it. It's almost like we, I say we, (laughs) no, like I would imagine you all hold yourself to really high self-expectation and expectation from others too. I think Felica took it with such grace though. And because we did, I remember having that conversation about, okay, aesthetically, this is going to look very different than functionally. And functionally, we're going to be able to get this a really far distance from where you are now. And if you are going to have more kids, this is something that it might aesthetically look like this for a long time, but you're going to be so much more functional and strong. And this is going to be something that you might want to deal with later aesthetically. But she took it with such grace and said, I do want more kids. I can get stronger. Okay. You've given me the green light. Let's go. Let's, let's move on. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Like really playing that long game of like, okay, this is my life. I want the long game of performance. I want the long game of, of my goals. I want the long game of fitness and the long game of becoming a mom again and again and again, however many times. You know? <laughs> so yeah, you had, I think you just had such a great spirit and yeah, just so much grace. And that was evident very early on too, at least from our perspective. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So you're at a year postpartum. You feel like you're kind of turning a corner here. Can you tell us what those months were like leading up to the Olympics? Cause most of us have no idea what that process actually is like. Yeah. So I had my season here in Japan and I think we finished around April. Mm-hmm. And so during that time, our coaching staff was watching our matches. So they were able to, it's called through um, volumetrics. They're able to watch our matches and give feedback. And I remember having a call with Karch probably in January and he'd watch one of my matches and he was like, Hey, like you're great, but you're also not good at this, 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 and this. And, um, it's concerning, you know, it's like, all right. Like that's tough to hear because like I said, in December, like, I I feel pretty good. Like, I think I can do this. And then to hear like, Oh, you're not as good as you think you are naturally as an athlete and late athlete that sucks to hear you have somewhat of an ego, but at the same time, I mean, how I've, I've dealt with my career is like, all right, I'm going to process this. And then what can I do to get better? And so that was, that was, yeah, my goal for the rest of my time in Japan. Like, how can I get better at these specific things um, that he's talking about? And so I worked at that and then got back home in April and we had in May, end of May, we left for tournament called volleyball nations league and they condensed it it's usually about like six weeks and i think we were gone for maybe like four weeks i don't remember honestly and so we were in italy in a bubble and so we were just yeah that was that was interesting but through that process um there were about 18 of us that made the team and they selected the olympic roster from those 18 Wow. So we whittled it down to 12 and this is all while we, while we were all in Italy together. And, um, we knew that after the first week or two weeks, they were going to determine the team and make that roster team. So it was just a lot. They'd said before that they were going to determine the team based on our performance during our club seasons. And then as well as how we did during um, this tournament. So like I said before, there was just so much unknown for me, yeah, um, so much pressure. A lot of pressure. Yeah. It's just, I, I've never been there before. Like I've always been a starter. I've always known my role. I've always known my body. And this is the first time where I didn't know any of those things. 
And didn't have that guarantee of being on the team where you had to like earn your spot back. And and I just have to say in Japan, you did finish, you were named to the top six. You failed to mention that part. (laughs) (laughs) Can you describe that a little bit? And, and because that was kind of, you ended at the end, he gave you all that almost feedback saying you need to do this, you need to do this. And then you actually did it. Right. Mama Malia stepping in. (laughs) yes yeah you're right um yeah well one of the things he said specifically was about my blocking and that I needed to be better as a blocker and then I did win best blocker in the league um at the end of the tournament and then also top six you're right so yeah (laughs) it did I'm grateful for I'm so grateful for that feedback that he gave me because it it made me better in the end um but I think that's kind of been my career. Like, I just, I love getting feedback. It, of course, it hurts sometimes to hear these things, but it's only going to make me better in the end. Um, and same with you too. The feedback you gave me, you know, when I first learned about the diastasis, like, right, this sucks to hear, but what can I do to make it better? So, yeah, it was nice to know that, like, okay, I can still maybe do this thing. Like, it, it's still not a guarantee that I'm going to make this Olympic roster, but um, that alone, you know, coming back as a mom and, and making that team, uh, meant a lot. Yeah. That is so big time. That is so big time. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So you're riding that high. Like how did that translate into how you kept playing in the, the coming? Right. Time? Yeah. So I felt pretty good going in to the national team, but it's always different when you're used to playing with a certain team and then you all come together and have been playing elsewhere for months and you're trying right. to figure it out with each other. And the interesting, the unique thing about all of this is that because our team, our national team was pretty young, a lot of these players I never played with because I was pregnant and I didn't play with them and even our setters. And so that was my first time playing with them. Whereas my whole career before I'd played with the same setter for like almost a decade. So it was trying to like relearn. It was weird being like a veteran on the team, but feeling like a newbie. And so... And that's yeah, part I can, of the ego too, I would imagine. Yeah. Everyone was so sweet though. Like everyone's so almost like too respectful, right. <laughs> like the young ones, which is great. Like I, I love them so much and um, they're all like so welcoming, Yeah, which is weird to say, cause it's like, they're young. Of course, you know, like I should be welcoming <laughs> to them. Right. But no, they, I mean, I hadn't really been around. And so um, yeah, I was just, just getting a connection with them. I think that was my biggest struggle, honestly, all summer is, my um, offensive connection with the setters. And so um, I ended up making the Olympic team. So we went to Nations League and after week two, I believe like they announced the Olympic roster. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I made it. Like, this is amazing. This has been my goal from the get-go. And then on top of that, we found out the starting lineup at the very end of the tournament who were going to be the starters for the Olympic team. And I found out that I'd also made that. And so great like this is amazing um but in that because my connection wasn't great with the setters I had to switch the position I usually played as the middle so there's two positions there's m1 and m2 and majority of my career I played m1 and so I hit the slide like off one leg like that's my bread and butter that's what I'm known for but because I couldn't get that connection down with the setters I had to switch to an m2 which is something I'd played early on in my career but not in a long time so it was another thing like, all right, I got to adjust and adapt to do whatever it takes. I want to do whatever it takes to 
help the team and whatever it takes to win this gold medal, which has been our goal for a long time. So and like all of this is to say like ego just has to go out the door yeah. with all, like everything, my whole journey. It's like, you can't have an ego and, and try and be successful. So like, all right, like this is different for me, but whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. Oh, I love it. So tell me about that moment of finding out that you not only made the Olympics, but then being told that you were going to be a starter. Yeah. I was that super emotional we, or you like, what was it like? Yeah. The making the team, the Olympic team, they, we like met in the, we were in the hotel. So we, yeah, like had times we're supposed to go into one of the rooms with all the coaches and they told me, and I think, yeah, I think before that I was pretty emotional. I think before that it would had been hinted to me that I was going to make the team. So I kind of knew what to expect. Um, but that whole tournament was tough because I was away from home, you know, family couldn't come with me. And again, there was big of known. And I, also failed to mention that during my season in Japan, after I'd had that talk with Karch, I like ego. <laughs> and then I was like, I don't know. I don't want to do this. I don't think I want to do this. I remember telling my husband, like, I don't, you know what? I'm not going to do the national team this summer. Like I'm, I don't need to do this. Like I already made this, you know, I came back and played like, I'm good. And he's like, are you sure about this? You know, I think you might regret it when you see everyone else <laughs> at the Olympics and you're not there. Um, and yeah, that was definitely my ego talking and me, the whole unknown and fear and unknown. And like, what if I don't make this team, what it's going to look like. So I, I think it was like going back to those moments and thinking about how I wanted to quit and that I didn't and being grateful for that. And so I wasn't like crying emotional, but like yeah. just grateful for the journey. Oh, sure. So awesome. That is so awesome. And so through this process leading up to the Olympics, how often did you have to be away from your family? Were they able to go with you? Like, and obviously COVID messed up some of that stuff. Just give us a, some insight on that. Yeah. I was fortunate that my family could come with me to my professional season in Japan, but I feel like I was gone like all summer. I think I spent a total of maybe eight weeks away in a four month period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was, yeah, I was gone a lot. Um, and I'm just fortunate that I have family to hold it down. Like my husband does so much, Jonathan and my in-laws and my parents. And so I had a lot of help back home, but it was a lot of time spent away from family. Right. Okay. So you make the Olympic team, you find out you're starting. What was that like? You're there. There at the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Kind of surreal. I think it was always, it was very different because there were no fans. And so that Olympic experience for me initially was different. The young ones didn't know, like, you don't know what you don't know. So like, right. we're just happy to be here. And I'm like, where are the fans? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but once we started playing, like knowing that everyone back home was watching, it was, you felt a lot um, of emotions. And so I think for me, it was, I call it like my worst tournament just because off like offense is my thing. And so the fact that that wasn't like clicking for me, the majority of the tournament was really tough, but I was able to rely on like other aspects of my game. So it was fine. It was just, so it was just different, but I think the biggest difference, everything was just the team and the girls and just vulnerability was huge on this team. And we spoke about like our fears before the match. We spoke about how we were nervous and how 
you know, some people wanted to throw up and we're like, Hey, that's cool. Like we got your back. And I think that's something that we never had in the past. And so Sue Enquist, um, who is with UCLA, um, she was a softball coach and she joined our team as a consultant, if you will, worked a lot with us in terms of the team and, and mindset. And she's, doesn't have a psych background, but kind of like played that role for us. And I think because of her, we have this gold medal. And because we were able to sit with each other before the match, like we would be, you know, in the locker room and talk about what we're grateful for and what we're fighting for and anything we're feeling. And I think in the past, like as athletes, we felt like we had to put on this facade, like I got this, like I'm fine. But it was okay to say, I'm not fine. And I could tell the, the team that as well, like, hey, I'm really nervous. Like, I know I've been here before, but I, I'm worried, you know, like, I, I don't know if I have it or not. And to have people be like, hey, we got your back. Like, we believe in you. But to get that off your chest, like my chest and everyone be able to get that off their chests, um, I think it brought us closer and allowed us to lean on each other in the hard moments. That's really incredible. I'm so thankful that you shared that like intimate experience with us because I think the perception is so much of like that aggressive, like kind of alpha attitude across right. the board for professional athletes. Of course, there's that element, but also being able to share the the fears and insecurities and whatnot, the vulnerabilities before. I mean, that I would imagine makes it just so much more powerful. Yeah. Just, I mean, we were literally like, falling crying before this gold medal match which is so funny like we were in the locker room like boohoo crying and then we're like all right let's go you know like we're on and it's just so funny to think about but I think getting all that emotion out you know clearing the tube allowed us to be great in those big moments gosh that is so awesome thank you for sharing that well well, yeah I don't know about you but like my household was like losing our minds watching the games and I'm telling Kate I was like I know her. <laughs> yes. Every, mom, you know, and like we were like, yeah. ah. <laughs> every game there's Feluca, there's Feluca, there's Feluca. <laughs> yes. So just so you know, you're like, we're a big deal in our household. <laughs> yes. They even know that I'm talking to you now and it's a big deal mm-hmm. right now. I mean, obviously so grateful to be even a tiny part of your journey and you've made so much progress and just sharing again, this Cinderella story, but that doesn't say, I guess it's a Cinderella story because you won this gold medal, your mom, you're this amazing three-time Olympian, but what you've been through the last year and a half, two years, two years, gosh, like yeah, it's crazy. You've just been through a lot. And I think sharing the backstory and what it was actually like to accomplish you know, your dreams in the midst of motherhood is just so powerful. Thank you. Yeah. And I I failed to mention too, that throughout the Olympics, I had back issues too, like lots of back issues more than I've ever had before. And I, I know why, you know, so it's, I feel like the journey, it's just, it just keeps going, you know, like I'm still, there's still obstacles I have to face um, through the diastasis. And so it's like, I, I, I'm on that podium and I have that gold medal, but there's still even in that journey in the Olympics, like there were still a lot of obstacles throughout that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't just, I mean, it can get better, but it doesn't necessarily just like go away, especially when you're managing something that is 
a pretty significant like injury or symptom for you. So mm-hmm. it is um, just kind of doing what you can, controlling what yeah. you can, surrendering to a lot of it and knowing that there's a lot of hope and potential down the line for you. And yeah. you're doing a really great job, I think, of, of capitalizing on just all of it. Like you've just done a really incredible job of taking your circumstances and turning it into something really freaking good. Really <laughs> Thank good. you. Yeah. Thanks to you too, really. That's, I think I don't know where I would be. I definitely wouldn't be an Olympian if not for you two. And that, you know, early on in my journey and, and having you guys to rely on and just being with me throughout all of it. So thank you to you guys. You're welcome. I yeah. love the story. I just yeah. love hearing all, because some of this I haven't heard from you, you know, just hearing right. the backstory of even some of the little pieces that you've gone through. And yes. so I really appreciate you opening up and, and sharing some of those, those stories with us as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. I really appreciate it too. And I know that your story, while not all of us are pursuing our third Olympics, a lot of us are pursuing just that lifetime of athleticism and dealing with things that maybe didn't go how we thought they were going to, or changes to our body and experiences that just catch us off guard. And it's a lot to navigate, but something I say all the time is like, you know, our athleticism doesn't end when motherhood begins. And you're such a shining example of that. And that spectrum is so large. There's room for all of us to pursue whatever level of fitness we want to do. And I mean, I think you've just done a beautiful job of sharing your story and, you know, we're here to support you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. So we'll wrap up, but what does your near future look like? Do you, you're obviously you're in Japan right now, so you're going to keep yeah. playing for a bit. Yeah. So I start, I'm, <laughs> I think we're on day nine of our 14 day quarantine or house arrest, either one. So yeah. we haven't, we have not left this apartment, um, in nine days Okay. with a, an almost two year old. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. So yeah, I have my season and it'll end in April. And after that, like pretty positive, I'll be calling it quits. And so I'll be retiring from the sport. Um, but I just feel like, feel like it's the right time. There's not really much left to do. You know, I feel like I've been able to accomplish everything I've set out to do. So I'm just going to enjoy this, this season here in Japan. Well, you've had an incredible run and I hope you enjoy every, every moment there in Japan, maybe outside of your quarantine here, but um, <laughs> we're cheering for you. I know that you're going to gain that so many new fans um, who are just so appreciative of hearing your story just by putting this out there. And yeah, I think you're doing a great job. Thank you for sharing so, so many vulnerable moments and angles. Um, I know that it's going to help a lot of people. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, Malia, thank you also for being here. I'm so appreciative of the work and collaboration that I'm able to do with you and for welcoming, welcoming me into this. So um, yes, just you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I just have to say that I appreciate in your programming too, postpartum, you know, having that outlet for a lot of my women to say, okay, you can do stuff right away. And there's this program out there. It's not going to be too overwhelming and it's not going to be underwhelming where even I know Felipe, your coaching staff in the beginning was kind of surprised and Brie and I had you doing a lot of things in the beginning and they're like, Oh, we thought that she wasn't going to be able to do a lot of this stuff. Um, right. And they were actually happily surprised that you were doing a lot of lifting right away. Um, right. And obviously with those modifications. So I just appreciate Brie that your programming's out there for a lot of women to, to utilize. Oh yeah. Well, 
I mean, I love this stuff, you guys. <laughs> so <laughs> I was so appreciative. I, I just, I think you both are wonderful women and uh, thank you for letting me be part of it. Yeah, and thank, thank you. you guys for coming on the podcast. Luca, good, good luck with the rest of your training. We're cheering for thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. All right, guys. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you are a postpartum athlete and you're really trying to figure out what next, what does my return to fitness look like? What do I do about my core, my pelvic floor? How do I get back into the movements I want to do in a way that I feel really confident about? I have you covered because I know exactly what it's like to be where you are as a coach, as an athlete, and as a mom. So I want you to download six exercises for the first six weeks postpartum. It's a free resource and it just goes over everything that I think is really important to take into consideration during those early weeks postpartum. Now, if you're ready to begin more of an exercise program, say you've been cleared by your doctor or midwife, I have a eight week postpartum athlete training program, which acts as the perfect entry back into fitness, into the gym, into the kind of movement that you want to do where it's still respecting the changes your body has gone through and how your baby was delivered, but it really helps connect your rehab into the kind of fitness that you want to do in a way that's relatable and fun and exactly what your body needs right now on behalf of your long-term function and performance.